All right. So we are live. And hi, everyone. I'm excited to interview Sohail Eshkevary. Uh, he's currently postdoc researcher at MIT Sensible City Lab. He did his PhD at Lehigh University. He is interested in machine learning, structural engineering, and crowdsourcing technologies uh, are his passion. In this interview, you will get to know Sohil's journey, uh, his thoughts on AI, deep learning, and its applications in uh, structural engineering. And also we'll get to know uh, a bit deeper in his research topic uh, where he used reinforcement learning in structures. So without much ado, we'll jump into the interview. Sohil, thanks a lot for your time to, to do this. Thank you very much, Mayor, for inviting. I'm, I'm happy to be here for this opportunity. All right. So, Sohil, can you tell us about your background, where you grew up, and what made you excited to study civil engineering? Sure. Uh, so, actually, I'm originally from Iran, uh, and I was born in the capital city in Tehran, and I was all my life uh, studying there, living there. Uh, and so I would say the first time I got interested in science and engineering was like some maybe middle school or high school. I was lucky that I went to a very good uh, school and there were like inspiring people everywhere, both my like colleague students and also uh, the teachers we had, they were great. Uh, totally out of box, uh, like, sorry, totally like, thinking in out of box and like had different perspective to science and engineering. And that inspired me a lot. And uh, later for college, when I had to choose major, uh, so my father is an engineering and I would say that actually he was pretty inspiring engineer because it's not just me in our family. We have more than I would say 10 civil engineers that all I guess are inspired by my dad. So that was my first preference, but I really liked computer engineering, computer programming, and also architectural engineering. So this was the list of my major that I like to go and just happened to, uh, I, I got accepted in civil engineering and that's how I ended up doing it. But as it went further, I started my bachelor's, master's, I got more interested in that, but I would say that at some point, uh, in, especially in my master's, I was working also in a company and I got curious about uh, integrating advanced technologies to the classical civil engineering, but that sort of was a very big missing part of the technology. And that actually basically motivated me to apply for PhD. Uh, and I again find myself lucky that I could work on Lehigh University with Dr. Shemin Paksat. He is expert in uh, structural health monitoring. And this field is a very good place for combining multiple disciplines. And yeah, that was how actually I got interested in tech and programming and yeah, this stuff. Oh, quite interesting. Even like my family, my father, mother, brother, all are civil engineers. So <laughs> I feel like, and like, uh, so you were uh, quite interested in like technology right from the beginning. Like when was the first time you got exposed to machine learning? Yeah, for machine learning, actually it was in my master's, uh, sorry, it was bachelor's actually that uh, I had uh, an independent study with uh, the concrete material professor. 
And uh, actually, we had this chance to start working with some uh, like PhD researchers or postdoc researchers, or actually even like affiliate researchers uh, on some uh, concrete material projects. They were actually trying, basically it was just no, when I think about it, it was not very complicated research projects. So they basically wanted to try different combinations of material for concrete uh, mixture and see how would be the improvement. And for that, they were using a genetic algorithm and like some probably uh, Gaussian process to feed some functions so that they can maximize certain performance uh, in concrete. And that was my first exposure, but I actually, it was very unfamiliar back then. I had no idea what's going on, but then it was a while of disconnection because in my master's, I did classical civil engineering, like detailed design of steel structure. I really loved, I learned a lot about the whole process of research, con conducting research in a formal way in my master program. But then again, I started learning about machine learning uh, in my PhD. But uh, I started with like online sources, which are great. Uh, but in addition to that, I had the chance to actually taking some advanced courses from other departments. And that made actually, I think, improve my skill set. I see. And can you provide us like high level overview about like what are some uh, research projects you did up to this date and some highlights? Uh, of course. So uh, I would, it's, it's pretty actually extensive if I want to talk about whatever I've done so far. Uh, but I would start from my just PhD part, which actually uh, the main topic I'm working on is structural health monitoring, specifically on bridges. Um, and the general big picture idea is that uh, we, uh, we are actually thinking or we are envisioning that if we can use smartphones to collect data, vibration data from bridges and process this data to get con continuously get some updated information about structural bridge structural health, which actually seems like a, uh, it, if that can happen in practice, this is a revolutionary advancement because actually it's super scalable. You can immediately use this technology everywhere in the world. And uh, we know how infrastructure is really expensive, how costly this could be if we just wait for them to uh, stop working and we rebuild them. It's going to be super costly. And if we can keep eye on them 24 seven always, then we can actually start repairing the bridge in more sensitive times so that we can avoid further costs. And that's the general idea. And for this goal, actually, we have multiple challenges toward that. For example, uh, the state of art, I would say, in structural, bridge structural health monitoring is to use uh, sensors, like wireless sensors mostly, but in a fixed uh, manner. So we put sensors in fixed locations and they collect data for a while, send this acceleration data to a server and the server process this data to get mode shapes, frequencies, like mostly modal prop properties. So I would call this uh, modal system identification. And this modal information can be used for um, basically for model updating to begin with. And also if you track these values in time and you see some sudden changes in these, uh, it's basically a trend line uh, 
tracking. And if you see some changes, you can, this could be an indicator of damage. And then you can go and spend more time, have a closer look. Uh, but so fixed sensor is the state of the art, but uh, how to change it to mobile sensor? Because if you use sensors that are moving, then your data is not just a function of time, but also a function of space. And you don't have much control on the, like the motion of these sensors because we are envisioning that vehicles act like sensors for us and you cannot control the driver's behavior. It may go slow, fast, stop, and so these are the challenges. One part of my projects try to address this problem, like how to deal with mob mobility of sensors, the variations, randomness that exist in this problem, uh, which is, I would say, the easier part. The more complicated part is that if you have, so again, in our ideal scenario, we are going to use smartphones for data collection, not advanced sensors, and smartphones are very low level sensors uh, in terms of like uh, motion measurements, uh, the frequency like sampling rate is not so high, resolution is not so high. Uh, we try to circumvent this, they like address these challenges by aggregation. So instead of using one phone, you can look at a bunch of phones all together and hopefully you can have a more informative data set. But still, there are some challenges within this data. For example, uh, since you're using smartphones inside vehicles and vehicles are driving, uh, vehicles by themselves are dynamical system that add up a lot of noise to this signal. And also there is road roughness, especially like generally roads are not having good conditions and they add a lot of other types of noise. So basically you have a very complicated combination of signals that you collect with phone. And what you are interested in is pr pretty much the uh, lightest, the smallest component to this uh, combination, which makes it a very challenging problem. So we try different approach for that machine learning approach, signal processing approach. We actually had some success, but this part is still ongoing. Uh, yeah, that would be the overarching or uh, arching actually idea of my research, the main focus is re of research. But other than that, uh, I was always curious about using new technologies, differ different fields like uh, this RL controller is an example of that, which actually uh, I got the idea. Uh, I'm, I'm just one of the actually collaborators on this research, but the idea started when I was taking this uh, uh, reinforcement learning course at Lehigh and I learned about the MDP, the Markov decision process and how nice this framework can match to a lot of applications in civil engineering. And uh, yeah, I was very curious about that and we started working on this and it ended up working nicely and it actually is just the beginning of a path and we think there is still a lot of ongoing like uh, future works on this that can be done with reinforcement learning. But that, that is a side project. I collaborated on that with my colleagues, Sohela, which is my sister, and Debarshi San, great collaborators, both of them. And uh, they actually, uh, so, so yeah, but basically this is mainly the project for my sister, but I collaborated with her and uh, I really liked that. Actually, it was an amazing experience. I see quite amazing and like i was curious when when you were suggesting uh sensors so like 
how is the workflow when i'm walking over the bridge i send the data from my phone to the cloud and like is there any gyro sensor which is taking care of it so yeah that actually is a good question so there are multiple components in the pipeline of this data processing so the data is collected by the smartphone sensors and then if we have a phone app multiple phone apps but one is being used in MIT it's called good vibrations app and this app basically sends the data to a server stores the data in certain cloud and we download that data but that data is uh, very messed up data it ha doesn't have or right orientations it's noisy it doesn't it has also trend line shifts so we do a lot of pre-processing on the signal. We remove the trend, uh, trend line. We apply multiple techniques to orient the signal. Uh, but we ended up actually using, so we also have gyroscope data from uh, different directions. And uh, so th this, this part is done all as pre-processing, but we just rotate the axis to very simply just using a gyroscope angles rotate the uh, signal to act to actually global axis and use the maximum which is vertical direction as the input for or system identification but still other than these steps uh, which actually take care of the data quality we still have some other filters for like uh, resampling, downsampling sometimes, filtering, uh, windowing, so that actually we can make it as nice and as trimmed as possible so that it works out, works out best. But then we do the rest of the pipeline, the applying the methods, the algorithms in Python uh, in different frameworks, but this part is offline. Got it. So is it like way too simple to call it like it's a regression uh, problem you're solving where like you're collecting sensor points and measuring the uh, deviation or vibrations to the sensor and then in the future you're predicting like what's the health of the bridge like uh, no it it's kind of like a regression problem the title is uh, okay it is acceptable but it's not like signal prediction or uh, like using regression on the signal itself. So what we do is that uh, for generally system identification methods, you have a background model for the problem. So for example, you have a state space model of the bridge, which has some unknown parameters like um, stiffness matrix, mass matrix, or you can rotate the whole problem or transfer the whole problem to the uh, modal coordinates and get more shapes and more frequencies, modal frequencies and stuff like that. And then uh, we want using this data, we say actually, if there are certain parameters, let's say gamma uh, for mode shapes, omega for the frequencies and stuff like that, we should expect certain signal. And we have this signal, basically we you solve in one of the methods in Stridex specifically, which was not my work, uh, Tom Matarazzo's work. Uh, and he uses maximum likelihood. Basically, basically, we get a signal, we want to maximize the likelihood of seeing this observation given a certain model that we assume. So it's regression in that sense, but it's not regression on the signal itself. But the methods I worked on, they are basically uh, model-based again, but uh, they, uh, doesn't they don't use maximum likelihood is like a simple machine learning objective function like MSE for example I can explain a little bit on that if it's interesting yeah like uh, 
I was getting an idea like, okay, if you want to solve a problem using machine learning for structural health monitoring, like one way uh, is uh, using like some supervised learning algorithms, like overall, like you, you had one deployment using reinforcement learning. So what are some ways to solve like those problems? So, yeah, that actually is a very interesting question. Uh, so I think there are multiple ways. This is my personal opinion. There are multiple ways to deal with a system identification problem using machine learning or data-driven methods. I think this title might be more appropriate. Uh, data-driven methods. Um, so if you use black box methods like machine learning, assume certain neural networks and just try to get a lot of data, you will have many challenges. First of all, um, in generally in engineering tasks, we don't have much data uh, to start with. And But on the other hand, uh, the accuracy is very important to us because it's not like saying this image is cat or dog. It's not, this, this is not the level of accuracy we are looking for. The level of accuracy is that whether or not this stiffness matrix that we are estimating is within the 2% uh, margin of the exact value. So that is a very different level of accuracy we are looking for. So that's why I would not always start from black box methods. I would uh, look at the physics of the problem and I start, actually I did a lot of research on physics based or physics guided. I, I wouldn't say it's fully physics, but there are some ideas from the physics of the problem embedded in the machine learning formulation but still the problem looks like uh, machine learning because there, there, there is like a model, there is an overarching model, uh, but the components are small neural networks. And the objective function is basically, again, it's a supervised learning. There are some labels. We want to minimize the difference between the predictions and the labels. And the, uh, another thing is if you impose certain types of physical rules, to your neural network, then uh, we saw that in one research that actually you can train models with way less than amount of data, which is great. And it matches very well with the actual condition in civil engineering problem. But for example, going, going back to the beginning of my research, uh, for the MIMC method, that was my first paper, uh, it's it's actually stands for model identification using matrix completion. Uh, this I would see it as a machine learning problem, but it's fully model based. So I assume that uh, there is a bridge response. It that mobile sensors. Maybe I can share my screen to show that. Maybe it's easier. Is it possible? Yep. Go ahead. Yep. Sure. Uh, so. So can you see that? Yes. Uh, okay, so the idea of matrix completion is that, so when we, let's say we have a bridge and we have certain uh, vehicles that are collecting data. These are vehicles that are moving, right? And there is a huge matrix that uh, it's unknown. It's, it's, I call it spatio-temporal bridge response matrix, but it's not known. We, we cannot collect all responses in all degrees of freedom of this bridge, but our vehicles just collect certain coordinates of this matrix, right? Uh, so th these are the discretization in space and these are discretization in time. And vehicles actually happen to be in different time space locations and 
collect bridge response at that specific coordinate, right? So what you end up getting is the sparse representation of this matrix. And then we know from the physics of the problem that this matrix is huge physically, the dimensions are super high, but this matrix has to be low rank because uh, bridges, like the bridge vibration is dominant by a few natural modes. And just by applying this simple physical fact, we could formulate it very easily and like complete this matrix and then use the rest of the problem. I don't wanna spend time on that. Maybe it's boring, but I mean, mathematically speaking, just applying this fact that this matrix has to be low rank, we could find a very similar problem in math and optimization, which is called matrix completion and impose it to your problem and solve it, solve it in a very better way in my eyes. Uh, that would be my general approach, not just going to off the shelf machine learning method, but looking at the physics of the problem, what we are solving and try to find uh, the best match. The, for example, this formulation doesn't have any nonlinearity in terms of like activation functions, having like ReLU or sigmoid or anything like that. It is machine learning. It has a lot of matrix multiplication and minimizing a loss, but it doesn't have any nonlinear this is the objective function, basically. You don't see anything nonlinear here. This is the only function we apply on the observation, and this not, is not a nonlinear function. It's just a uh, binary matrix. Uh, but I don't know, maybe it was a little bit uh, broad explanation. I try, I hopefully actually I could send the message. No, it, it was quite insightful. And like, I, I totally feel that because like structural engineering, like if you have like, even a small percentage of error, like you're risking people's lives with it. So it, uh, it's, it's, we need to be uh, sure about the accuracy of the model. And uh, just like, I'm taking a step back. So what are like some, like the reasons why one should use machine learning in structural engineering? Because like I was reading papers from Autodesk and there was one paper where for structural optimization and uh, stiffness calculation, generally it's like take a time uh, time intensive task so they were using machine learning to reduce the simulation time and like there might be some mod like uh like one way using mobile sensors data maybe it reduces the cost of those installations so it's cheaper and also you get a lot of data points so what what are some motivations and like how can uh, we use this in regular work so uh, yeah, there are a lot of motivations for us to uh, use uh, black box methods like machine learning for exactly for like uh, computationally extensive or generally slow processes. Like uh, I think generally in engineering, whatever tasks that can be modulated, can be prototyped, these can be replaced with machine learning at some point. Like even in design, in structural design, uh, it is, it's, it, it's a very broad field. It has a lot of like avenues that you should check, like multiple tens of checks just for designing a certain member. But these are repetitive. You are repeating this process everywhere. And if you have a big enough data set, you easily can replace it with way better probably machine that can do this task. The same for other majors, like even medical sciences and everywhere. But uh, Again, for designing them and to be successful, I think uh, we shouldn't look at the off-the-shelf method. It, it matters that we actually dig deep into this problem, try to find physical connections. 
and uh, sim like use those physical collections as constraints and then try to solve the rest of the network or rest of the problem with machine learning. But uh, in terms of the motivations, I think design could be a huge uh, part. Most importantly, I think machine, sorry, structural health monitoring already has shown great potential for machine learning because you're dealing with data, which is highly noisy, highly uh, actually incomplete sometimes. And it's very helpful to actually, we can have some black box methods that replace previously model-based methods. Uh, other than that, I, I think, for example, like for generative design, these are not my expertise, but uh, I've seen beautiful works that actually people use. I, I generally think that the parts of engineering that are, this is again, my personal opinion, that are uh, based on art and talent and creativity, these are the hardest tasks to be replaced by machines. So uh, generative modeling is interesting, but I see this as a very complicated task because computers are not good in the like type two types of tasks, like those that we really need, uh, I mean, creativity. But yeah, repetitive processes will be all replaced, I would say in very, very soon, actually, maybe within 10 years. I see. And uh, before we move on to the RL controller discussion, I wanted to know, like, what was the most challenging part in uh, in this research? Was it like data processing or feature extraction or was it like getting into that accuracy level? Like, So this actually is a good question. Uh, there are multiple parts that I remember as the hardest, as very complicated parts. One is uh, generally, so this problem as a researcher, it's ex it, the experiment is uh, pretty complicated. So you cannot find easily a bridge and you cannot employ your app in multiple phones and simultaneously collect data, collect data for a while. And you end up using a lot of simulation, which actually slows down the process of upgrading this method to a practical solution. This part is challenging, but yeah, for example, in MIT, actually, we have this chance, this which is amazing, I would say, maybe we are very few teams in the world that can do that, and that we have collaboration with some larger scale organizations that actually agreed to employ our app, and they are collecting data for us, and this process is ongoing, which is very interesting and exciting. But in uh, Lehigh, actually, this was a, my major problem. And another problem is that, especially in machine learning part, uh, if, for example, if you have seen my works on direct uh, dynamical problems, like for example, estimating building response or dynamical response given it their input only, or going the opposite way in the inverse uh, dynamical systems, finding the input of a dynamical system given its output. Uh, these are regression tasks in a signal level, as you mentioned briefly at the beginning. And Regression on a signal, I found it as a complicated task. It's, it's not easy to get high accuracy on that. And the architecture design is pretty tricky. Uh, for example, maybe autoencoder for, for, for us worked out better compared to other, other architectures that we tried. But, uh, and I, I can understand, for example, even, even very exciting things that are going on, for example, in computer vision, for example, faster CNN, these object detection networks. These are all 
uh, this do regression to some extent, but regression is pretty actually crude. It's not so accurate. So if you actually miss a pixel with plus minus five points or five pixels or even 10 pixels, you are still fine. You got the object. And again, there is major part of that, which is classification of that object inside that box. Again, most part of it is classification. But for regression, uh, regression on a signal, especially if you're using recurrent neural network, you're predicting a value which actually has to be exact. Why? Because it's going to be the basis for the predictions of the future values. And if you start getting error here, then you start propagating this error everywhere. And so this, this was actually a very challenging problem for us. And I think we came up with some nice ideas to address that. For example, certain types of loss functions that look at a horizon instead of just one step ahead loss, or uh, we use like hard sampling so that we make sure that uh, these hard samples are going to end up working pretty well uh, and don't, don't start a deviation. And other than that, I, I think yeah, these two came to my mind as the major complications that I faced in research. I see. Yeah, that's quite insightful. Uh, thanks for sharing. Now, uh, I, I would like to uh, discuss if you can walk us through like theory and implementation of RL controller and like what was the approach it would it would. Yeah, I'm curious to know that. Of course, again, I can share and go over that paper and maybe that's better way. Mm. So, sorry. Yep, okay, here. So, yeah, the RL controller basically, the idea is that. Um, so, again, I start with a little bit of history. When I took that class in reinforcement learning, I learned that so there are certain types of problems, recurrent decision-making pro problems that can be modeled with Markov decision processes. And Markov decision process means uh, they actually include certain types of problem in which at any time and any at any decision-making interval, you have a state which is a noisy observation of what's going on in the problem. It has to be also representative, actually, uh, observation. You have this, you process this, you think about this, and then make a decision for this interval. And your decision is an action. The action will interact with the system, produce the next state. You have the next, and also a, a reward for this action. Then again, in the next step, you will have the same process going on repeatedly. Uh, so this actually MDP has a very long history. People started solving it with closed form solutions like dynamic programming and stuff like that. And reinforcement learning is a breakthrough that actually solves this problem, some versions of these problems in a data-driven manner. And I actually was uh, started being curious about use cases in civil engineering. And I found structural active control as one of the, uh, actually our team altogether found that this, uh, this field is a good match and very similar to the reinforcement learning framework. How is that? Um, we say that the, in active control, we have uh, basically this loop going on 
which is, so we have a structure that is a ground motion is applied to it. Let's say this is applicable on just buildings standing against earthquake. And this is the earthquake applied to the building. The uh, building responds to that ground motion produce a dynamical response and the state actually uh, gets created. And this state is the, let's say the classical definition of state in the state space equations of a dynamical system. Uh, Simply put, it's displacement and velocities and at all degrees of freedom of the building. And then we have sensors, but or sensors, this is one start point that actually or method deviates from classical maybe RL uh, setups. Or sensor cannot get a full representation of state. It gets just a substate of sub, subspace of this full state. And uh, what is that? It's basically acceleration, which is not displacement and velocity, and it's not necessarily complete. So we can have acceleration, let's say in a nine story building, we can have acceleration just in five stories because that's how it is. We have sensors in just five story, which is going to actually have a detrimental effect on the performance, but that can be captured within this framework. And also sensors calculate reward. And here the reward basically, it's somehow counterintuitive with respect to the uh, word. Uh, it's not reward, basically it's the negative of punishment. Basically what we measure is the drift, inter-story drift accelerations and stuff like that and sum them up and multiply a minus one to it so that it acts as a reward. So as it gets closer to one, we are happier as it, becomes smaller or less negative, more negative, these are bad, we want to avoid it. And these are the inputs to the RL controller. So this part basically is a neural network, not a very deep neural network though, but it's still a neural network and it takes an action. The action can be the applied force or uh, applied, I would say, effort in whatever mechanism we design uh, for this problem, we assume that there are actuators in different stories and they apply forces. And this action is the actual actions that those actuators can take. And they apply these actu actions to the building and the building continues this process so that it can, uh, the, uh, this neural network can control the motion, minimize the demand on the building. Uh, this is the general setup or the scheme of the problem. And very important actually finding or like not finding what I mean output of this work is that we introduced a Python class that is compatible with it's, it's a standardized environment uh, that can be used with a variety of optimizers because for those who are familiar with reinforcement learning literature, the most active part of this uh, actually uh, domain is that people try to find better optimizers. It's tricky part, it's a tricky problem. Our reinforcement learnings are not, some of them, most of them are not sample efficient. You need a lot of training so that you can find an optimal plan. And your optim, optimal strategy may not even be the actual, the global optimum. Maybe just end up finding a local optimum, which sometimes is fine. Even in this setup, we don't know for sure that what we are finding is global optimum, but actually it, we just know it outperforms existing active controllers. Uh, but this class actually has a lot of functionalities. Uh, you can just explore it. You can modify the mechanism that we introduced, which is actuators. 
with your desired uh, controller, I don't know, whatever you want to apply, like tendons or whatever, if, even base isolations. You can change the uh, loading type from ground motion to wind load or whatever types of loading you want. You can change the, actually even the building type. It can, it can be bridge. These are all possible. So you, this framework is pretty flexible. And I, I hope that people start like cloning this. It will be up, uh, up in GitHub sometime soon. We are trying to make it as nice as possible. But uh, I think it, it uh, gives a lot of opportunity to just explore this uh, active control problem with different setups and even actually make it more complete as what it is. Uh, yeah, this part actually probably took the major effort to make it a nice standardized gym environment. So I think you're familiar with gym, which is the classic, I think it's open AI uh, package. And yeah, you can easily try different state of the art optimizers like PPO, TRPO, DQN. So it depends, like for example, in this setup, our action space is continuous so that the actuators can apply whatever force they can within the certain range, of course. So by, by actually setting this assumption that your action space is continuous, you automatically lose some, some optimizers to try. You cannot use Q-learning anymore, for example. But uh, which is, this is not a problem of RL controller. It's a pro problem of your definition, but uh, you still can very easily change your, it's just one line of code so that you can try a totally new algorithm and run it. Uh, I like this part a lot. And so later on, what we, so a, a very important point actually here I have to make maybe in this plot is that compared to, so whenever actually, you have questions, just stop me. Sorry, I just want to explain whatever I remember. Um, a very important point in this special active control uh, mechanism that we are proposing here is that uh, compared to the existing active control uh, strategies or works, uh, our method does not need to know the system mechanics of the building in advance. So this is, again, a general problem in reinforcement learning. There are multiple ways to solve reinforcement learning problems, one of which is that you start by learning the model first. And then given the model is known, you try to find a strategy, find the optimal policy. But the, the most actually uh, advanced way of uh, the most recent optimization methods in uh, reinforcement learning research field is policy gradient methods or actor critic methods. These basically just aim for finding the uh, policy directly without knowing the model. So the model learning part is integrated within the training process, which is actually a very important part in or setup setup in the civil engineer in this uh, structural control problem because finding the definition of the model, the mass matrices, stiffness matrix, this part is a totally separate task. It, it's very costly. It has to be done by system identification, model updating. But this framework, our control doesn't need that. Actually, it just starts interacting with the system and it implicitly learns the system and exploit that knowledge. Uh, and th that is a very big uh, I think finding, uh, we hope that we could emphasize on that in the text, but actually I, it was good that I could explain it here. I, I have a, a question. So sure. uh, just uh, to get it right, like 
so we the rl controller is trained so is it like once the building is constructed and pre occupation there is some calibration for the rl controller based on the sensor data and when there is like a earthquake or heavy wind like the the controller is suggesting like how to actuate the building is is that the problem yes it actually basically plans the actuators uh, how to apply force in different degrees of freedom so that they can minimize the overall demand on the building minimize the building shakes for example like all other controller systems that's the yeah um, so actually at the end to show how well the method works in terms of performance compared to the counterparts. We worked on a benchmark building, uh, a five-story building. And like this result, for example, is just summarized result of what act, uh, our controller is doing. So the uncontrolled uh, building response in the fourth story is shown with this dotted line and the control with two methods, reinforcement learning and uh, another controller modeled with LQG, which is uh, a known highly like valued or respected active control uh, strategy. We designed the controller with LQG and compared it with RL. Again, I want to note that LQG uses the system knowledge for designing LQG, we assume that building is known, but RL didn't have this advantage. So the responses are compared here and you can see that, uh, so in terms of controlling drift, they do both do almost the same uh, level of performance, it actually can perform uh, similarly, but yeah, here actually maybe RL works a little bit more smoothly. And also in terms of acceleration or base shear, like total demand in uh, base, base, all base shear is also a measure of performance we see that sometimes it actually matches with the uncontrolled. It's not way better, but after uh, like damping out or canceling out the peak of the quake, then uh, the controlled mechanism worked better compared to uncontrolled system, uh, which both actually are satisfying. So an another uh, flexibility that we have in RL controller is that you can design the objective function whenever, wh however you want so that you can minimize your parameter of interest. Here, our objective function mostly weighed on the interstory drift. And that's why interstory drift is controlled pretty well. We had also components in the reward function in the loss function for the base shear, but the uh, coefficient of that term was way smaller than interstory drift because we we were focused on interstory drift, but you can easily change it. It's just a number in the class that you can change. So this was just a very small example on one earthquake on one degree of freedom. We summarized all the results here in terms of some performance indices like J1 to J4 and the descriptions of J's are shown here. For example, J1 is the maximum controlled drift over the maximum uncontrolled drift. Uh, on all uh, on all the earthquakes, actually, we measured that. Uh, J2 is the maximum of acceleration on the controlled over uncontrolled. Uh, and J3 is the energy, signal energy, I think, in the uncontrolled, sorry, the controlled system compared to the base energy of the base shear in the uncontrolled system. 
uh, and J4 is not the energy, it's the actual value of base shear divided. So basically these measures, I don't wanna confuse, uh, not you even myself with these parameters, but these are basically general performance measures that people use in controlled literature to compare systems. And we see that uh, we are comparing RL and LQG in these plots over a variety of earthquakes, not just one earthquake. And the red one is for LQG, for, for RL, and these are story levels. And you see that almost everywhere, uh, RL does a better job compared to LQG, which already knows the model. Again, I'm emphasizing on that, which was pretty promising. Yeah, this is actually, I would say, a summary of this paper. Uh, I have some other additional information to share, but. I so like, I haven't dealt with the sensor controller, so I, I, I'm just curious, look, once the sensor is uh, installed, like, is uh, is this, like, going to be, like, a edge device or, like, a chip where you uh, you do, or does it need, like, cloud information to simulate the next action? Like, is it yeah. just... What happens is that you train the network, hopefully, before the event. So you have the... You have the predictor, you have the agent ready when the earthquake happens in an ideal scenario. And the earthquake, actually, the where this agent is stored, it's somewhere inside the building. I think it's the safest. Maybe even cloud is not the safest because maybe we lose communication uh, within an earthquake uh, time frame. And it's inside, it's an intranet connection that actually just sends a request, a query to the uh, computer, what would be the next action? And the action comes back and the actuators apply them. Uh, that, that's how it's going to be applied. There are a lot of challenges and questions in terms of practicality. So this paper mostly focused on uh, the just the idea development or just proof of concept that this RL controller approach might be even better than advanced model-based controllers. But in terms of practicality, there are a lot of remaining works that we are already working on that. Uh, for example, what if the connection is uh, lost for a few seconds or three microseconds or whatever level? Uh, is, can, can RL controller catch up and still control the building? And this, so this is not a result we present here, but our preliminary results showed that yes, it still can catch up. Uh, not, of course, not with the same level as control, but it still can uh, improve the performance. Uh, another thing is general, these are, these are general challenges, the, uh, general actually suspicions people have uh, about active controller uh, control systems in general, not about reinforcement learning though. Uh, for example, what happens if the observation is very noisy? Uh, because if the input is bad, the output is going to be bad as well. And uh, so we are trying to model different levels of noise and see what's going on with that. And this, these are still ongoing. I mean, we are aware of the practical challenges and we are trying to improve. I see. And uh, lastly, like, what is the reason like RL controller is performing better than like classical rule-based approach? Because like, I, I think like even they foresee for each action, what's the response of the building and then predict the next action? Like what gave uh, the model more a better accurate behavior? This is actually a very, very smart question. I, I agree with you that it sounds a little bit counterintuitive that why should a model beat a model-based 
so there are two reasons that I can come up with at the moment. One is that first of all, uh, we for LQG, what we do is that we assume it, it basically has very similar structure. We have to define a loss function and uh, work on that loss. But the loss function is, is a static measure. It cannot change in time during the training process. And this part is done by Devarshi Sen and he did a great job on terms of like finding nice responses and everything I have to mention that. But the uh, part that I, for RL controller, what we did actually is that we have a thresholding so that if part of the, the or loss function includes multiple components, one for the interest-story drift, one for acceleration, one for base shear and stuff like that. If one of these components actually exceed the threshold, we penalize more. So this doesn't exist in a classical definition. We couldn't, because if we add that to the algorithm of LQG, there is no guarantee for convergence. LQG has its own structure. It works based on a static uh, um, loss function. And, uh, this is, uh, in my knowledge, maybe some advanced research actually has shown that you can change that as well. And the second thing is, uh, so generally, this is a very interesting finding in uh, reinforcement learning methods that are policy gradient method, like actor critic method. They don't put too much attention on the actual mechanism inside the system, and they just focus all the attention to find a mechanism to, to, to a strategy, or a, a cheat sheet, so that they can minimize the response, that's it, without any uh, respect for the model. And that can be sometimes very useful. For example, let's say you have a complicated model, which is high dimensional, and it's very hard to explore. And if you want to learn it in advance, or uh, even, even if you know this big uh, like set of information, this is just a lose of space and lose, uh, like uh, loss of energy and effort, computational effort to store this and keep track of this model all the time because the majority of this environment is useless for your decision making process. But reinforcement learning just picks up the information, like the uh, policy gradient method, just picks up the part of the information which is necessary and useful for the decision making process. This. Basically, when you integrate these two parts, exploration and exploitation together, then uh, apparently models actually do better job in terms of just learning some efficient information for doing better, uh, performing better. That these two are my answers. I see. Yeah, I, like I recall, like uh, like even DeepMind, DeepMind deployed like models, and they were training the models to learn. Uh, instead of like focusing on one single particular game. So it's the learning strategy, uh, which makes it quite uh, interesting. So, uh, and I was I just, just curious, like, because like there was that move 37 in AlphaGo. So I want to know, like, is there any findings through this reinforcement learning method that was like counterintuitive to way we think about it or like, like something which is quite uh, outlier thing in terms of strategy? So in terms of uh, the strategy that the system finds or in terms of what we learned by using reinforcement learning. Uh, I can say, for example, the second one, which sounds interesting to myself, I can start with that. Uh, we found that reinforcement learning 
uh, maybe it's because we are not knowledgeable enough. It's a very, very complicated uh, way of learning because, because of lack of uh, like uh, back propagation and differentiation uh, for each hyperparameter into the system. So it's, it's a it, reinforcement learning is a branch in the family of black box optimization methods. And whatever you can do is just throw in an input and see the observation. There is nothing coming out of this box. And this makes it super hard to learn compared to machine learning. But in machine learning, when you calculate the loss function, then you can do back propagate and you can see what would be the effect of every single component in your network to this output, which is huge knowledge. But this is fully missing in reinforcement learning, and that makes it very complicated. So in my current research uh, with MIT, I'm working on a reinforcement learning problem with traffic networks. And uh, so far, I'm spending two, three months, uh, which, but the progress was pretty minimal because just exploring that environment takes forever. And I cannot simulate this environment in a faster way because anytime you want to interact with the system you have to infer that uh, simulator and if simulator is not fast enough it's going to take forever so generally when you try to think about reinforcement learning make sure that your problem is tractable can be small enough and also an another another very interesting finding for myself is that make sure that you made your action space and your state space as small as possible. So don't think of reinforcement learning in terms of uh, the actual present, actual appearance of the problem. For example, uh, if you're dealing with a decision-making process that's, that has hundreds of variables as action, make sure that you, uh, I will assure you that you cannot use all these actions together and find a way with reinforcement learning. It's impossible. Make it as small as possible, like a handful of actions, and then think of some smart ways so that by having this handful of action, you can go back to this wide action set and continue this process. These are what I learned basically from the reinforcement learning part. In terms of what we learned from the strategy that reinforcement learning found in RL controller, it's an interesting question, but we didn't dig into that yet, like comparing what this strategy is doing compared to what we expect. But what we found is, so yeah, there is there was one finding was that another interesting feature in this RL controller is that it learns from uh, the exogenous input that is just random. It's just random Gaussian noise, which is interesting because uh, if it depended on actual earthquakes, then this question can arise that we don't have these earthquakes applied to that building. How can we get that? But we don't rely on actual earthquakes. We use noise, wide noise for training process. And it ended up, actually we found out that it works well with earthquakes. This is interesting. But we found that compared, if we uh, assume that this Gaussian noise is the benchmark, we found that if you superimpose some random impulses to this ground motion, to this uh, wide noise, just randomly locate a, an impulse somewhere in that as the input to this network, the network learns very well to counteract earthquake pulses at the moment so that it improves 
the performance substantially. Th that was another thing that we found. Uh, still, the white noise only worked well, but white noise plus impulse worked even better. Got it. And if if I were to deploy this RL controller for my next project, like what's the procedure? Should I just uh, like clone the repo, train it for my building, like install it, the sensor, train it for my building, and is good for deployment? Like I just want to know like application if one has to adopt this. Yeah, so for this level, of course, this is you. I want to make sure that you're not going to use it in your building because it's not ready for that. But for uh, for uh, research purpose, yeah, whatever what you have to do is just clone it and enter like introduce or set the mechanical properties of your building, basically mass matrix, stiffness matrix, uh, damping matrix, and the properties the location of the actuators and uh, sensors that you have, these are all easy variables that you can set, vectors or arrays, stuff like that. Uh, and yeah, run it. You have to train it for a while. Uh, this actually, the whole package for optimization, you have a variety of packages to use, but what we used for optimization was stable baselines package, which is a nice uh, package for learning. It has a lot of uh, advanced optimization methods embedded so you can use it, easily exploit them. Uh, yeah, and run it for a while and you just track in TensorBoard, you can track the reward function whenever. So another thing generally about RL is that there is no exact solution. There is no global, you, you cannot simply know if you get to the global optimum or the best performance ever. You just have to be satisfied with the result and stop it. Because uh, yeah, maybe if you leave, you run it for very longer time, it can still improve. But generally, like RLs are sometimes very unstable, so you may want to stop the training process early, and the performance is still satisfying. Uh, so yeah, that that is what you need to do. It should be pretty simple. Got it. And honestly, I'm loving this discussion, and I wish it goes on and on, but we have approached a one hour mark. So I, I want to dive a, a bit into like your upcoming projects and advice for people who are getting started. So uh, 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 a question I had is, uh, according to you, what are some roadblocks faced by AEC industry to adopt this uh, kind of models or deep learning techniques in their workflow? Uh, I think we already within the discussion mentioned some of these uh, issues, maybe a little bit repetitive. Um, one is again, lack of data, but I think the lack of data will be addressed very soon, maybe already is uh, changing. This, this situation is changing very fast because of the abundance of sensors, abundance of sensors. Uh, another thing is that, um, we have to definitely, we have to integrate models. We have to integrate the physics of the system so that we can reach the accuracy that is acceptable to the experienced engineers. So, you know, actually there is like two, two groups of people working in AEC. People are like young uh, engineers just graduated. They're interested about integrating technology and experienced ones that are not easily, they don't easily accept whatever you say. To make them accept, you need to have a very good accuracy measure. You have to show that the performance is really break, like it, it's, it's really inspiring. So to do that, I think 
one solution I found is to integrate model uh, because it, you can explain this, it, it increases the inter interpretability. And also it, uh, it actually has a lot of effect in increasing the uh, accuracy that you want. Data efficiency, um, we already mentioned, it's not a matter of adding more data, but you can use techniques, adding some constraint to the optimization process so that you can uh, you work with smaller data. Uh, you, and for very broad audience of uh, young researchers, like I, uh, like I mean, undergrad researchers maybe who actually want to start working on machine learning, I review papers, I see papers that people in civil engineering or AEC used uh, machine learning that I would say they are just basically incorrect approach for to take. Like when you don't have enough data and you are working on high dimensional data, just working with, with machine learning because it's the most like hot topic. It, it, it was once very interesting approach and people gave you good feedback, but it's not anymore. You have to actually have something to say. Your method has to be superior really, not just using a machine learning is not sufficient. Mm, yeah, I would say, and I think generally it may, maybe I'm, of course I'm biased because I'm this, inside this industry, but I think the better years for like integration of AI and civil engineering is yet to come. Actually, in future, it's going to be even way broader. I see. So is it like if I have an, an idea to propose in an organization, I should work on a weekend, make a proof of concept and show it to the senior that, okay, it's accurate. And I'm not just proposing something out of the box. Yeah, because at the end you have to sell to those people. They have the clients, they know how to help you with the marketing. And if it just makes you happy and myself, both researchers, it's not gonna actually have actual effect. I That's see. my idea. You know, totally makes sense. And uh, according to you, what are some emerging trends uh, in the field of AI or deep learning algorithms, which uh, a structural engineer should keep an eye on uh, that is also somehow related to our previous conversations. Like I think generally interpretability is a big trend. Uh, and one other, other field that I'm curious about is multimodal uh, AI, which means like you get data from different resources. So uh, you basically are not limited. If you want to know a bridge, structural health of a bridge, you shouldn't be limited to just signals or just drone videos, but an aggregation of all these data sources, which seems very promising. But I think these, some of them are not really practical in the uh, university level because of the infrastructure they need. But the trend is coming actually, the trend is definitely there. And another one is that, uh, yeah, like semi-supervised or like self-supervised uh, machine learning is also a very interesting topic. Simply put, I'm also a student in that manner. I'm learning, but I'm just uh, repeating what I learned is that uh, for self-supervised learning, the idea is that when, if, if AI or neural networks are trying to mimic how human learns, uh, neural network is doing a very bad job compared to human. Why is that? Because uh, when a baby is going to learn a new task, he or she doesn't start from scratch. They have a very good background of does, what type of problem is that, which category is that, and then just fine tune itself or their, their selves. 
So uh, this is very interesting. So when we model a system, model a neural network and start learning it, uh, we basically start from scratch. The weights are all randomized. And this is bad because we had very similar tasks we trained and we could start off those like transfer learning idea. Uh, but self-supervised learning actually methods, I saw a paper recently, uh, I think by Lacan, I think the French famous researcher in Google, I think, that uh, they had, uh, they provided actually a huge, made a huge model for self-supervised uh, learning that basically it has a huge data set of image and it tries to cluster images maximize distances, basically just practice with itself so that it can have a very good feature space for whatever task you will have in future. And then depending on your task, you just put your labels at the end and just train it for a few epochs and you're done, uh, which sounds amazing to me. It's, it's more realistic and closer to what humans basically do for learning. Yeah, like that's quite, quite interesting because uh, I was reading about uh, multimodal uh, like through DALI and also like there are some attention gain uh, like even like transformer like it's getting more accept uh, wider application from like language to images and graph neural network so I haven't I haven't yet seen like those uh, models uh, deployed in like structural engineering research but I'm excited like how people take that of course, yeah. Actually, transformers are also something inspiring me a lot. I tried to use it to some applications, was not successful. But uh, the idea looks very interesting. The reason I like it is that in one of my very early research, research, I had similar idea. Of course, I'm not a computer scientist and I couldn't make it happen. But I was thinking, yeah, what if we have a simple, fully connected layer in which these layers themselves are not constant, they are actually functions? which is basically very simple explanation of transformer and looks, looks very interesting to me. But yeah, of course, I, I see a lot of potential in that. I couldn't do anything with that yet. I see. And uh, what will be your advice to students or young professionals who wants to do similar work? Um, I would say uh, it's best, best thing I learned from my career path so far was that uh, it's always better to be good at the fundamentals and the, and the very deep understandings and then try to build up on top of that. And uh, for example, whatever we do, I, I come from a culture in Iran in which like engineering is a fancy major. Medical science is a fancy major as well, but engineering is really very advanced major. But when I moved to, to the US, I learned that actually science is very, very, very important. We didn't think about it that way back in Iran. And I think, uh, no, I know that if you have a very good understanding of math, then you may come up with amazing ideas can, that can be revolutionary and you can use it in engineering or whatever field. And that will have wide, way broader impact compared to what we can do as engineers. So it's always good to make sure that you are brilliant in math, you are great in physics, you know what's going on inside the problem you are interested in, and then use these tools uh, in like next to the knowledge you got from the fundamentals and this integration would be amazing. That would be my suggestion. I see. And uh, any like particular 
courses, books, or conference uh, you recommend to people that might accelerate their growth? Uh, so this actually books are a lot, but the books, uh, one that just came to my mind is relevant to RL controller. I think it's the obvious book is the Seton and Bartok book for reinforcement learning, which is amazing. Uh, and the interesting thing about that book is that it's a very understandable uh, book. Actually, you can easily read it. You don't need to have huge background in math. Uh, and just read it from the beginning to the end because it's amazing. It actually talks about different types of reinforcement learning problems that you can define or black box problems in general. That book is amazing. Uh, in terms of uh, conferences, depends uh, again on your interest for mechanical, uh, inter like intersection of mechanical, civil engineering. Um, I learned a lot when I attended. I, I had a few experience, but iMac conference was really good. And uh, also like IWSHM is also a very good conference. I like iMac even better. Uh, and that's it. These are not very, very uh, knowledgeable suggestions because my experience is limited on that. No, no, it's, it's quite uh, like I, uh, I think like during the hackathon, you suggested this book and I started reading that book and it was quite insightful. So, uh, uh, and uh, is there anything like I'll open the forum for like questions from uh, the attendees. And before that, I, I wanted to ask like if there is anything we didn't cover in this interview and you wanted to share your thoughts about or any technical or non-technical information. Um, I don't think anything that was specifically in my mind I didn't say. Yeah. Awesome. So now, like, if if the attendees have any questions, like, feel free to jump in. I'll also see if there are any questions from the live stream. So Aditya Sharma had a question. I think it. It was earlier during when we were talking. So he's asking, so we are trying to apply forces through actuator to reduce the effect of earthquake while the earthquake happens. How will it be done for a new earthquake as the time history is not known? Yeah, that actually is uh, interesting. And I think we briefly addressed that. So what we learned, that that's actually one of the achievements of the method. You can learn merely on the uh, random noise or whatever type you, you can actually come up with a smarter way to generate some artificial in inputs and you just learn on top of that but we checked it with unknown earthquakes to our network and it still worked well so yeah the whole idea is that this is learned offline and it works for the earthquakes that happen in future are un unknown how it's done actually is that if you think about it even in future earthquakes, I know that the ground motion is not known, but the states are known. Like whatever happens to the building, if they are within the similarity of the states that the network saw previously, still has an idea how to take an action that maximizes the value in this step. That's how this is done. It's not magic. I mean, it's, just, it's similar to the actions it saw before. I see. All right, so 
And lastly, like uh, I wanted to know, like, is there anything uh, from your whole uh, career path you wish you would have done differently? Yeah. So that the first one was uh, I I know myself as I, I have good fundamental knowledge, but even better, I would ex I would wish actually I was better even in math. I had like more advanced understanding of math and physics. Uh, and other than that, also uh, programming for civil engineers, I think we start learning about that a little bit late, especially if you're just researching on that, you start working with MATLAB or Python. But uh, I'm not saying programming just for the sake of being able to use these APIs or machine learning. I think programming also gives you a mindset of algorithmic thinking which is very, very important. Uh, also in a, in a personal level, I, as actually years go by, I would love probability and statistics more, uh, even in machine learning, actually, whatever we do is just Bayesian in France, making uh, our knowledge better based on previous experiences. Uh, and I think it's it's not just for AEC, it's for all humans. I think we don't know much about probability. We have to keep pushing that forward. This is also something I personally try to do if I have some spare time. These are just very general advices. Maybe people know way better than me that this stuff. Got it. Yeah, so we have comments uh, from Ritwik that it was quite insightful. It opened doors to learn more about the field of RLN construction and thanking you for the advice. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to make a last announcement. So in our next session, uh, uh, we'll be reviewing four lectures from this uh, amazing course at ETH Zurich about computer vision applications in machine learning. So they have the slides uploaded here and like uh, Ruthwig is also in the session and we are collaborating to review a few of their work and like how we can use those computer vision techniques uh, in our day-to-day uh, -day work. So uh, I want to thank Sohil a lot like for your time to explain all of your work. It's quite amazing research work and I feel quite inspired like from learning more and more about your work. So thanks a lot for sharing your thoughts. Yeah, thank you very much, Mayor, for providing this opportunity. It was great. Thanks. Awesome. All right, have a nice day.